Hello and welcome to this special edition of Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Mand. Today we will hear two different interviews I did on the topic of restorative justice and we listened to some Cuban music, so I hope you have your dancing shoes with you. Our man in black is Father Paul Massel. We'll talk to him at the end of the program, but we begin with a commentary from June 2010. I have a surprise for those who think that the abortion issue has been settled in Canada. That debate has been reopened. Despite what politicians may think or what the secular media tries to pass on as fact, the debate has been reopened. Perhaps there is fear and no political will, but the debate has been reopened. It's been open now for at least two years. Every month there is something about abortion in the news. Whether it's abortionist Henry Morgenthaler receiving the Order of Canada or the unborn victims of violence bill being introduced to Parliament, the issue is in the news. Now it's back in the news because the leader of the Liberal Party, Michael Ignatieff, seems to think that Canada needs to include abortions in their plan to improve the health care of women in third world countries. Actually, it's been in the news because of that for several months now. And there are articles written in support of this and articles written against this. No matter, it's in the news. Who says the debate is over? May 14th marked 41 years since the omnibus bill, which decriminalized abortion. Since then, there's been a legal vacuum when it comes to abortion, as there is no law. It's neither legal nor illegal. There is no protection for the mothers, there's no protection for the doctors, or for the unborn children. It's possible to have an abortion at one week gestation, and it's possible to have an abortion at 40 weeks gestation. Anything goes, because, as some would like to think, Canadians don't want to hear about this issue anymore. And so, we continue in this abortion legal limbo. A friend sent me last week an article connecting abortions with the decrease in crime in third world countries. I suspect the author of the article was making a case in support of abortion. I guess there's no argument there. Of course there is going to be less crime if we kill the children before they are born and grow up to be criminals. That's a very inexpensive solution to the crime problem. I don't get it. On one hand, we have a Prime Minister who is talking about improving healthcare for women and children in the developing world. On the other side, there are these people who think that abortion will improve the health of those women. It's available for Canadian women, they say, therefore Canada should make sure that it's available for women everywhere. Again, that makes perfect sense. Why spend money making sure that women have the tools to survive childbirth when it's much cheaper to simply have them kill their children before they're born. My prediction is that Mr. Ignatieff's political career is over. And in the meantime, south of the border, Dame Hillary Clinton is lobbying to make sure the United States does the same thing. Even for countries that don't want abortion, no matter, let's cram it down their throats. That's American democracy. They know best. But that's okay. At the same time, campaigns such as the 40 Days for Life are proving more and more successful. Abortion facilities are closing and Planned Parenthood is concerned about funding. The March for Life in Washington and the National March for Life in Ottawa welcome more and more people. There are now seven regional marches for life across Canada in solidarity with the one in Ottawa. More and more young people are embracing the pro-life message. Why? 
because it makes sense. Perhaps it's best if pro-abortionists believe that the debate is closed. One day, they will wake up to find out that they live in a country where abortion is unthinkable and they won't know what happened. My name is Pedro Guevara Man, and this is Salt and Light Radio. That was a commentary from June 2010. Here now is Cuban group Kerigma with their song Alabanza al Señor, which translates to Praise to the Lord.
That was Kerygma from Cuba with their song, Alabanza al Señor. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. At the same time that Americans were focusing on the events at the Columbine High School in Colorado in 1999, Canada was quietly having its own Columbine incident in Tabor, Alberta. 17-year-old Jason Lang was shot dead by a 14-year-old boy who opened fire inside the W.R. Myers High School. Since then, Jason's father, Reverend Dale Lang, has devoted much of his time traveling the country to talk about this tragedy and how they've dealt with it. Reverend Lang joins us now on the phone. Welcome, Dale. Thank you. Thanks for coming on to the program. Um, can you take us back to the moment when you heard that there had been a shooting at your son's school? Yeah, we, uh, we really didn't hear that there was a shooting at our son's school. We got a phone call um, uh, at our home to tell us that our son was uh, in the emergency unit and that it was a very serious circumstance. We didn't know what it was. So we immediately rushed to the hospital, and upon arriving at the hospital at the emergency unit, the uh, we were told that he had been shot, which, of course, was unbelievably shocking news to us at that point in time. Right. And then we asked, you know, where he was, uh, not expecting to hear that he had been shot in our little quiet small-town school, but the, the answer came back, yeah, he was shot at school. Okay, so as you found out that, that who the shooter had been... Um, what sort of feelings were uh, rising up inside of you? Well, you know, uh, even before I knew the name of the shooter in the hospital, after uh, we were, uh, at the time we got to the hospital, uh, they were still trying to save Jason's life. So we had to wait a while, and then when they came out and told us that he had, had not made it, um, and after having spent some time in that room with uh, with his body, we... I came out of the room and got very angry, yes. uh, just walking back and forth. I didn't know the name of the shooter. And my anger wasn't directed at him necessarily, nor at God, just that my son was gone, which was so unjust and so wrong. Yeah. Um, so I didn't direct my anger at him, but I did have anger at that time. Thankfully, God's grace was more than sufficient to take me out of that place, and I actually never went back to feeling angry again. Now, it's normal, uh, of course, to feel the anger and, and even hatred or, or to want justice or, or even some people, I guess, to want revenge. Sure. Um, but you just mentioned the word grace. Right. And now, I think that intellectually, I think, because of who you are, you would have been able to quite easily say, well, I'm called to forgive. But where does grace fall into? Because one thing is to, to know that we're called to forgive, and the other thing is to actually feel, to, to yeah, let go. Yeah, it, it, you know, you don't, in in, the, in terrible moments of uh, great pain, you don't uh, you don't sit down and you know say, well, how should I respond? Yes. Um, it, it it becomes a reaction out of who you are as a person, out of your heart. And uh, for me, uh, that reaction, because I had uh, been. Uh, a Christian for at that time twenty some odd years, mm -hmm. um, I was able to, I think, uh, by God's grace again, respond uh, not out of anger but out of uh, out of compassion. Now, not only did you respond out of compassion, but you became a bit of a leader in in I guess leading the whole school community, particularly in 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 terms of that response. Um, and you spent a great deal of the last ten years taking this message across the country. Now, why, 
at the expense of being obvious, but why is it, imp it's an important message, but why is it so important that we, that you spend so much time letting people know? Well, I didn't, you know, I never chose that. Uh, people started phoning within days of my son's death asking me to come and speak because we had begun to talk, I think, with God's compassion and also we, of course, forgave the boy who killed our son. Mm -hmm. um, so I've never sought to speak anywhere. And uh, this is all, I, I, as it began to happen, I really believed it would be a very short time frame that I would go out and speak a few times, and then once we were no longer news, you know, that that would fade away. But right. here we are ten years later, and I'm still being asked to speak. And I guess the only answer I have is that the issue is critical. It's, um, it's an issue we all struggle with, you know, how to deal with the hurts of life and how do we deal with uh, getting wounded by other people it is a critical issue that we all face on a virtually daily basis. Mm -hmm. So the significance of the issue seems to keep on bringing me to places to speak, and uh, and that's what keeps happening at this point in time. Yeah. Now, just a note for anyone that might be joining the program at this time, you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and we're speaking to Reverend Dale Lang, whose son was uh, shot dead at a, at a school shooting incident in Tabor, Alberta, in 1999. Um, now... Is that why you became involved in the restorative justice movement? I, I guess it sort of happened afterwards, right? Well, you know, one of the groups that uh, has asked me uh, on a number of occasions to come and speak is restorative justice. And, of course, the reason for that is because restorative justice really is all about the idea of uh, rescuing or uh, seeing um, people who have offended to, to come into a a healthier place in their own lives to, to be healed so that they don't keep on offending and hurting other people. Right. And so uh, my story fits, obviously, right into that sort of thinking. Now, uh, for people that might be hearing that term for the first time, restorative justice, um, so you've explained it in terms of the offender to so that they can come to, to wholeness, and sometimes our criminal justice system isn't that doesn't put that <laughs> at the top of the list, but doesn't it also have to do with the people, the victims, and the victims' families to also come in uh, to be able sure, to reach Yeah, there's a whole understanding of, of bringing uh, victims and uh, perpetrators together when possible and working through uh, feelings and uh, circumstances, hopefully to bring healing to everybody involved. There's no question that that's also a part of the equation for the restorative justice model, that to, to just to see everybody involved uh, come to a place of peace and, and resolution. Now, is it true that the Canadian criminal justice system is involving as much as possible this idea of restorative justice when possible? Yeah, you know, I'm not an expert on that end of things. I, I, don't, I don't spend a lot of time in the, in the criminal justice system. I think that there is, uh, I think the restorative justice movement has, you know, uh, helped the, the system move in that direction in some ways. Um, it's a very large thing, the whole criminal justice system, and yes. I don't know exactly, you know, where it sits right now in terms of its its mandate and where it wants to head. It's obvious, it seems, that if you can uh, help people um, stop reoffending, mm -hmm. that that's going to make a huge difference in the country because we continue to hear in our news of of people who have been caught again and reoffended again, usually over the same or similar issues. Yeah. So if there's a way in which we can find a way to, to see people set free from that behavior, then obviously mm -hmm. that's a huge thing for all of us. Yeah, that's a nice way to put it, in terms of freedom, to be set free, because we all need to be set free. Um, uh, maybe if you can leave us with, with some 
advice there might be some of our listeners who are struggling because they've been hurt or they've been victimized or they've lost a, a loved one and they're struggling with what at least if they're you know the christian belief tells them that they should forgive and they're not able to come to that what uh, what maybe not advice but what words do you have for them yeah i yeah you're right i don't i don't tell people how to feel or or what to do i i can only share with them that when when i was able to by god's grace choose to forgive the boy who killed our son i began to understand after a while that it was a place of new freedom for me Mm-hmm. that once I let go of anger and, 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 and I let the walls come down, because generally when we hurt, we're hurt, we build walls to prevent people from hurting us more. When we do that, then the Lord promises to come in and, and begin the process of healing us that will bring us to a place of freedom. Forgiving is not easy. Sometimes it's very difficult. Sometimes it's a process that takes a, a, a while. But um, my definition of forgiveness is very simple. When you can think about or look at a person who's hurt you deeply and still feel peace inside yourself, Mm -hmm. you've probably arrived at a place of forgiveness and you've been set free. Yeah. Dale, thank you so much for speaking to us today and thank you for your your courage and your leadership in this, uh, with this important uh, message. Well, thank you for uh, calling me and uh, have a great day. You too. Thanks. Bye. It's been proven that the best way to bring healing after a crime is the path of restoration. Now, if you'd like to learn more about this and how it's being incorporated into our criminal justice system, you can attend the Restorative Justice Conference that is taking place November 20th and 21st at the Trinity St. Paul's United Church in Toronto. For more information, you can visit the Friends of Dismas website. That's Dismas, the good thief, the Friends of Dismas, at uh, www.friendsofdismas.ca. Click on the Restorative Justice Conference link. Um, and we'll also have that link off our own website as well. Reverend Dale Lang will be the keynote speaker on November 20th in the evening and again on Saturday afternoon. The other keynote speaker uh, on November 21st is Arthur Lockhart. He's the founder of The Gatehouse, a community-based home assisting people victimized by child sexual abuse. We've been speaking with Reverend Dale Lang, whose son Jason was killed in a school shooting in Tabor, Alberta in 1999. We've been talking about restorative justice and about forgiveness Um, You've heard what he had to say, and now we want to hear what you have to say. So remember, send us your comments to radio at saltandlighttv.org. Hi, this is Dennis Grady, and you're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. Most of us don't know much about Cuba, except that it is a communist country. Perhaps you know then that as a communist country, the Catholic Church was for a great part of the last century very much an underground church. Now, but there's one other thing that I think a lot of people know, and is that great music comes out of Cuba. But Catholic music? Or religious music? Tara Fernandez, who has spent the last six years of her life studying Cuban and sacred music, is someone who is joining us now in the studio. On the phone, Tara, hello. Hello. Welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Tara, you're not... You're not Latin American. <laughs> You're not I'm Hispanic. <laughs> You're actually of East Indian descent. That's right. So what led you to, you know, how did you end up in Cuba doing research for uh, Cuban popular sacred music? Well, uh, in 2004, I received a scholarship from the Cuban government and a program called the Catedra Internacional de mm-hmm. Artes Plásticas y Música. And it led me to study there for about two and a half years. And during that time, I actually had, I guess, a reconversion to the Catholic faith. Okay. And started attending churches. 
And uh, when I had the chance to do um, uh, a master's degree in music, I wanted to use my experience in Cuba. And I thought, well, you know, what, 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 you know, hasn't, what has there not been much said about? And uh, I thought, you know, Cuban sacred music, or we call it, it's actually called in Spanish, Musica Sacra Popular, or okay. popular, sacred popular Sacred Music, music yeah. uh, is something that no one's really written anything about. And I thought, you know, well, you know, how interesting, because there's so many different kinds of music yeah. in Cuba, many different religions in Cuba, but really mm-hmm. not very many people have spent time paying attention to music from the Catholic no, Church. No, certainly, and that's not something we, we necessarily think about. Now, we have uh, had, we have been listening to some of the songs. We've heard two songs so far, and mm-hmm. I, I think to, to someone who doesn't understand the lyrics, perhaps, it might just sound exactly like Latin music or Cuban music, so it doesn't sound sacred. So right. how would you define Cuban popular sacred music? Well, I guess, what you know, it? how in Canada and the United States we have... Uh, what's known as CCM, or Contemporary Christian Music. Yeah. Popular sacred music would be, you know, essentially the equivalent to CCM in Cuba and Latin America. So this is music that people plays on the radio, for example? No, you wouldn't actually hear it on the radio, especially not in a country like Cuba. Because of the, the, the government. Because of, because of the government, there's really not a lot of support for it. Um, there, you know, but musicians themselves have been recording and just performing. Um, they have a festival every year in Matanzas, Veradero, uh-huh. which is a very touristy town, mm-hmm. uh, for popular sacred music, where new composers can display their comp- their compositions and compete with each other. Um, and there are little prizes that you win, sort of like little statuettes, like like right. a Grammy. Like but a <laughs> so, but how would you? What would you say is the difference between? this sacred music and secular popular music because it sounds the same well aesthetically yes it does it sounds very much the same but i guess the lyrics are really what sets it apart okay that and i guess your your intent when you're playing it like a lot of times in secular music it's oftentimes like you'll hear um people soloing or really like a display of you know um just like virtuosity mm-hmm. as a musician but you don't really hear that in secular, uh, sorry, in, in popular sacred. sacred music because just the average everyday Cubans are the ones who are performing this music. Right. Now, you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. Uh, my name is Pedro Guevara Man, and we're speaking with Tara Fernandez about Cuban music, sacred popular music. I, I, I'm going to say it's Catholic music, mm-hmm. Cuban Catholic music. Um, now, uh, Tara. I know that for anything in Cuba to really work, it has to have the government support. Um, and you just said that this music doesn't play on the radio. Um, however, the church in Cuba has managed to survive or thrive, I think, without the support of the government. So this music, how do these artists then, how does the music get recorded? Do they have the support of the church or is it just like an underground thing or how does it work? Well, I mean, all along, I think... Um uh, it's it's been happening underground. People have been composing, but when it actually comes to recording, there are very few studios, uh, or at least government studios in Cuba, and none of them will really support this music. But mm-hmm. a lot of people have had to open, you know, small private underground studios in their homes okay. using home equipment, or even foreigners who come into the country who are allowed to record okay. oftentimes help, you know, Cubans in that sense by, you know. Um, just acquiring studio time and bringing people in 
or um, sometimes they even have, you know, any tracks that, uh, that have been recorded sent out of the country to places like Miami or... So it gets recorded abroad. The States, yeah, that's right. It gets reproduced abroad. Now, we've been talking about recording it, but how important is it that the music gets recorded? Is that the only way that, that the music uh, is, is used, or is, how, does, how else can it reach uh, Cuban Catholic communities? Like, is, do they use this music in, in worship, for example? They do. You oftentimes do hear, you know, a lot of these songs in church. Um, probably at least, uh, you know, a lot of the older music um, from one of the pioneers. Her name was Perlita Moray, and you often hear her uh-huh. her compositions in church and such. But again, uh, during festivals, and you can often find people selling, you know, bootleg copies of these CDs or burnt CDs that um, I guess people take and you know listen to at home, and they're sold for very cheap. And that's one of the main ways that this music kind of spreads throughout Cuba. A lot of the recordings I acquired were just from copies of copies. So Right. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you found yourself drawn to the church or, or drawn back to the church while you were in Cuba. What was it about the Catholic Church there that allowed you to have that, I guess, rebirth or that experience of being called back? Well, let me say first off, like when I first was studying in Cuba, I really didn't even think that the Catholic Church was still active or that it, I thought they were just empty and, you know, uh, I really had a, a different sense of religion there. But, you know, after being there for a while, I once walked by a church and uh, just, you know, the serenity, the, the solemnity of it just drew me indoors and I realized there's a whole, you know, large Catholic community, um, very welcoming, mm-hmm. uh, very warm, very fervent in many ways. And uh, that's something I, I guess I really missed because, you know, being away from home, you know, that sense of community and of family. Right. Uh, wonderful priest there. And um, I actually had a chance uh, when I was back doing research last year to attend the ordination of the first Cuban Catholic saint, oh, Father yes. Jose Olayo. Olayo, yes. And I was just amazed at the amount of people gathered there. Not all of them were practicing Catholics, but, you know, it was just, it was held in a plaza in uh, Camagüey, mm-hmm. and just, you know, the amount of people who came out for the ordination ceremony, um, I'm sorry, not the ordination ceremony. The canonization. The canonization ceremony, that's right. It was, it was amazing, and, it, you know, it, there was a lot of youth there as well. It is, it is, and you know what, we had our eyes on that event all the way from here. Um, that event, to some degree, had government support. That did, So that's, that's right. very interesting. That's right. Even uh, Fidel Castro's brother was there. Yes, he was. Now, <laughs> let, let's to go back to the music. For an event like that, because mm-hmm. there was a lot of music at that event, it was a mass, for the main event, which is a mass, but I believe there was also a festival that was attached to it. W- would a lot of that music have been Cuban music written by Cubans, maybe music written specifically for that event? Yes, absolutely. Uh, they had something very special, which was, I guess, uh, a theme song to Jose Olayo, in, in, I guess, based on uh, the song Guantanamera. Yes. Which is very popular. And yes. Yes, a lot of that music, it was, you know, a good example of what you'd call a popular sacred yes. music, you know, incorporating the Cuban rhythms mm-hmm. in a sacred context. Yeah. So. Now, uh, again, we've heard two songs, Alleluia, um, A Cristo Rey, and Alabanza del Señor, which sound to me, and I am Latin American, they sound to me mm-hmm. fairly Latin, typically Latin American music, typically Cuban music. Mm-hmm. But there are also other songs, and we're going to leave our, our viewers with, our listeners sorry, with an, another song. It's called Todavía. It sounds a little different. It's very contemporary. It almost sounds like, I don't know, like something you would listen to on the radio. And you kind of, 
you know, soft sounds of the night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, is that also a typical, like in terms of musical styles, we're not talking about any particular style here. It's just any style or? Not, no, well, Todavia is more of a, I guess, like a contemporary rock song. Yes. And, uh, you With know, a ballad, you yeah, rock yeah. ballad. That's right. You, you kind of, you get that, that's something that's very new in Cuba. Well, not very new, but I guess very underplayed in Cuba. I mean, you can hear tons of son or any of the popular, like, salsa kind of styles, but rock is something that's very underground okay. in Cuba. And um, even if you listen to the lyrics of Todavia, it's not blatantly Christian, but, you know, you can interpret in there, there's definitely know a very positive or yes. christian message yes yes well tara that's all the time that we have but thank you so much for for uh bringing this to us to our attention and, and sharing a little bit about your your uh, musical expertise thank um, you thank you for letting me get this out there no for sure cuban catholic music whoever thought yeah um that was tara fernandez she's a musicologist specialized in cuban sacred music uh, as we said before, we heard two songs already, um, but we're going to play something that's a little different. This is more of a rock ballad. It's, it's by a group called Ojarasca, and it's called Todavía, which means still, as in, we still believe. Todavía en el fondo todos soñamos con la eternidad Aunque las despedidas sean tan reales como el despertar Todavía en lo interno y es voces gritando lo puedes hacer Todavía en el fondo te sigues creyendo que todos te ven Todavía peleas, pues sea lo que sea, prefieres volver. Todavía en el fondo sigues viviendo por esa fe. Hey. Es fácil vivir cuando no hay nada que hacer tan solo vestir dormir y comer Hi, this is Christopher West from the Theology of the Body Institute You are listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117 most of us are quite happy to help the poor, help those who are marginalized, to welcome the prodigal son or seek out the lost sheep. But is there anyone out there to whom you could not minister? Who are our present-day lepers that you would not touch? How about a repeat sex offender? How about a child molester? Well, that's exactly what our next guest has been doing for over 30 years. Harry Nye is a Mennonite minister, and he is also the community chaplain in the Central Ontario Parole District for Correctional Services Canada. And Harry Nye joins me now on Salt and Light Radio. Hello, Harry. Hi, Pedro. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Um, uh, pleasure. Your, your busy day. Harry, several years ago, you received a call. You're, you're a Mennonite pastor. You receive a call from a prison chaplain asking you to receive a, a pedophile um, who had been released 
from prison to receive this person into your church. What was your initial reaction? My initial reaction 15 years ago was, oh no, I don't want this guy back in my life again. Huh. I had known him several years before when I was the director of a program called Man to Man, Woman to Woman, uh-huh. and uh, he had reoffended. It was his fourth um, offense as an adult against children. And um, he was now coming out after at the end of a seven-year sentence. And um, we had had him in our program. We were really disappointed and flattened when he reoffended. And now the psychologist was saying to us, Harry, do you think we could find a Mennonite farm to put, his name was Charlie, huh. Charlie yeah. Taylor, to put Charlie on? Uh, he needs to be out of the city. And, um, of course, we were not able to do that. Uh, mm. But I felt that I couldn't just walk away from this guy because it would mean other victims. So what we did was to create, I said, maybe we can create a circle. Okay. Uh, we'll call it a circle of support. We'll call the group Charlie's Angels. I said, and I, <laughs> I asked my congregation if they would like to be involved and some other folks. So we actually created the first um, of what is now known as Circle of Support and Accountability. Yeah. And it was just to just to be a place where he could land, where he could be held accountable, but he could also be supported. Now, was this, sorry to interrupt, but was this the first kind of, you didn't have any models that existed previously, you kind of came up with this idea by the grace of God, or <laughs> did you have anything to f- that you could look to that already existed? Yeah, that's right. We, I had heard about work that was done uh, years before in the community mental health ish- field, where okay. families of people with developmental disabilities had asked for support in this way. But I, I hadn't even seen it in action. Um, so I just knew, because of my work with man-to-man, woman-to-woman, that a one-to-one uh, friendship was not enough for him. And okay. as it turned out, because of this uh, tremendous media pressure, it hit the front page of the newspaper. and uh, That he was going to be in this particular community. Oh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was terrible. They put his picture on the desk of every school children in the district. And wow. my son was eight. He said, oh, I know him. He was at our place for supper oh, last night. Are you serious? <laughs> Seriously. And uh, uh, so I thought, in fact, uh, and the police put him on round-the-clock surveillance, uh, for six weeks, um, and he made he was made front page news. He I expected him to reoffend. They expected him to reoffend, and I thought I was going to be driven out of town. Yeah. Um, you know, I was just trying to do something that I thought was helpful. And uh, what happened was that six weeks later they withdrew the surveillance, and um, and in the end, Charlie with with much difficulty, but with also with much joy, because the work of circles carries with it a lot of joy. You create kind of like a, um, a community. It's like a mm-hmm. surrogate family almost that becomes very close. And Charlie died three years ago now. He was going to be at our place for Christmas. Oh, yeah. Didn't make it. I went over there and he was dead on the floor. But he never reoffended. He never reoffended. Yeah. I, 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 I wish I had been in that original meeting. I, I can imagine you sitting with your, I don't know if the elders of your church or your kind of your church council or whatever. Or I don't know if you spoke to the whole community uh, to try to convince them that this was a good idea. What was that meeting like? Well, the staff at the community center and church where I worked were angry with me. They didn't, he says, this could jeopardize our whole work with families. Families and, and children, yeah. and the church, because he was front page news, uh, they didn't know what to do. So we, we had to meet. Our congregation was small, and many of the people poor, uh, and that was a blessing, as it turned out. Uh, we met twice, I think, for, and discussed it. Should we invite Charlie as part of our group? And we talked about safety. And one woman who had been uh, an old uh, alcoholic, she stood up and says, "Well, if Jesus hadn't welcomed me, where would I be today?" Mm-hmm. And that kind of settled it, you know. Yeah. The, the group said, "No, we can't turn our back." 
Yeah, so if we turn, if we don't turn our backs, we got to include everybody, I guess, in, in that. That's what she meant, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, now, just a note for anyone that might be joining the program right now. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and we're speaking with uh, Harry Nye about circles of support for ex-offenders. Now, so let's maybe talk a little bit about kind of the mechanics. So how do these circles of support work? It's not just anyone. It's like, I'm an ex-offender. I, I want to apply. Is there an, uh, uh, what's the process? Well, it varies from place to place. I should, I should just say that within three months of Charlie's coming out, a second offender came to Toronto and, and, and a second circle was formed. Mm. And then we, we realized maybe we have uh, something that could be a gift to the community, uh-huh. that, that the faith community, instead of joining all of the strident voices that says keep them locked up for life, could in fact do something creative and healing. And so the program then spread across Canada. It's now in the States and and in the united kingdom and now in australia and what we have found in our research studies is that men who have a circle of support uh have a 70% reduction in sexual reoffending rate really? so it's a dramatic um grassroots movement that has dramatic effect and sorry just just with pedophiles is it almost 100% reoffending if there is no support no no, I think that there's many ways of looking at this, those statistics, but um, actually okay. it's, not, it's not that huge uh, and in terms of common uh, perspective. Okay, okay. So then, so let's just go back to how the circle works. So how many people are we talking they're about? Usually, they're usually four or five in okay. the circle. And then around it, if you like, there is a kind of an invisible circle of community support, police, psychologists, uh, other, other uh, experts, who, mental health people who could be called upon. Okay, so everybody's working together. That's right. And the circle meets once a week, okay. and then the individuals in the circle will, will try to contact that person uh, uh, so that he's covered every day. And, and sort of what's the, uh, what are the steps that have to happen before the circle can be formed? Very good. The, uh, the man inside prison um, has, been, uh, you know, uh, has been selected, if you like, or, okay. or pinpointed by the chaplain social worker, he applies and is kind of vetted there by staff now of circles. Uh-huh. When he he has to sign he has to sign a kind of covenant with the group, okay. and which outlines what each is responsible for, and his his whole record is laid before the group so that they know there's no secrets, and um, um, and and so there's this and then the, when the meetings happen there's it's a lot of practical help. A lot of men reoffend when they experience rejection in relationships or mm-hmm. when they they just get sick and tired if they've particularly been a long time in prison. Hey, at least that prison is safe. Yeah. So a lot of this is practical help. Guys who are illiterate, helping them file for OD, for for disability support, for example, uh-huh. or welfare. All of these kinds of practical consideration. What do I do if my cat uh, is sick and I don't have money for the veterinarian? Uh, you wouldn't be you'd be surprised at how many of these little uh, piddly uh, incidents can can build into something greater that says to this man, I'm not wanted. Right. And now, like someone like me, I'm just I'm just a guy. Yep. I want to help. Hey, this sounds like a, something I could volunteer. Um, can I apply? Or yes, of do course. I have Anyone to have can apply. Now, um, uh, in here in Ontario, we have a central project in the Toronto area, but there are various projects across Canada, and, and uh, if anyone wants to um, check on it in Canada, uh, they could just go to the Government of Canada Correctional Services website. Yeah. In the various states, and in England, there is in England, there's a foundation now being formed called Circles UK. Okay. And uh, so there are various mechanisms, but training is provided, oversight is provided, so that so that a person is not alone. 
Okay, and if the person, you mentioned the covenant, if the covenant is breached or anything like that, would that mean that the offender or the, 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 the person that is being supported would end up necessarily back in prison or out of the circle, or can that happen? We call that person actually the core member of the circle. Okay. And, and if conditions are breached, it depends entirely on what the condition is. It may mean that he goes back to prison, even for a short period of time, but we've had people commit major offenses, too much to our, our grief, uh, but not many. Okay. And uh, sometimes the bottom line for circles is no more victims. So the, uh, we've, we, there have been occasions when members of the circle will call the police first, and they don't even know an incident has happened. Okay, so, I see. So, so there, is, there is not only support and celebration of this man's God-given uh, identity as a child of God, mm-hmm which which he he has not experienced much of his life yeah. but there's also accountability hey if you, if you're if there are children being threatened here um yes. there's a community safety yes. that's first now uh, harry we're almost almost out of time but right. i did want to ask you because i've heard you speak uh, uh previously about how this is a ministry of friendship mm-hmm. um but it sounds to me that it that it is ministry that that you're actually like what what separates uh, some volunteer that is part of this circle of support from you know a social worker except the fact that they don't have a degree like is it real friendship like uh, does it or can the relationship change at some point to real you mentioned that charlie came to your house for supper yeah um that's what you do with a friend but is that what do you know what i'm asking absolutely (laughs) and i think it's a central question this is a grassroots program at least here in in the canadian context because fellows don't trust the system. They don't trust social workers. They don't trust people who are paid to care for them. Right. And so they don't trust volunteers, but, it, but over time they do. And what happens is a relationship moves from that of kind of a service, of a ministry, to that of deep bonding. Last night we had a service on, on the death of one of our men yeah. who we've worked with for 10 years. Those were real tears in that group. There was real sorrow because Jim had gotten into our hearts and he mm-hmm. was a, he was like a brother to us right so so it does it doesn't Absolutely. start as friendship but eventually it 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 can become that's that. right um yeah. we're totally out of time harry but this has been very interesting i'm sure there's a there's going to be a lot of uh, comments and, and and response from people out there because it's what you're doing is is certainly it's grassroots but it's uh it's not a lot of people are doing it uh, not a lot of people i think uh agree with it but uh thank you so much for what you're doing and for joining us today it was a pleasure all right that was mennonite pastor or minister harry nye who is also the community chaplain in the central ontario parole district for correctional services canada and he's one of the pioneers in the international restorative justice movement now what do you think could you do this kind of work do you have any experiences with some of these uh most marginalized people in our society and what do you think about extending them our friendship? Send us an email to radio at saltandlighttv.org. I'm John Michael Talbot. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and here with us now is our man in black singing a song. Here's Father Paul Massel with The Prayer. I pray you'll be our eyes And watch us where we go And help us to be wise 
in times when we don't know. Let this be our prayer when we lose our way. Lead us to a place, guide us with your grace. To a place where we'll be safe. La luce che dura. I pray we'll find your light. Nel cuore resterà. And hold it in our hearts. When stars go out each night. L'eterna stella Let this be our prayer When shadows fill our Lead us to a place Guide us with your grace Give us faith so we'll be safe Sognava mano senza più violenza From above, oh, no, not We hope each soul will fall. Guide us with your grace. Give us faith so we'll be safe. Ella fede che hayace noi. Sento che ci salve. Father Paul Massel, pastor of St. Joseph's Parish in Bowmanville, Ontario, singing with Danny Bronson the beautiful song and one of his favorites, The Prayer. And now it's time for... Man in Black. And our Man in Black today, as you've been hearing is Father Paul Massel, former musical theater star. Father Paul, welcome to Man in Black. Well, yes, very good. You know, I think I'm on the wrong show, Pedro. <laughs> you, you are? I, I am because I never wear black. Are you I serious? I always wear blue. That, you know what? That is I, true. I just find black to be so austere. Oh, but it's so, like, artsy black. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you can get nice light blue shirts, you can get uh, purple ones, you can get even some nice beige ones, uh, Roman collars, and Roman I think, oh, that black just... 
it's just it just doesn't make my day. It doesn't so, lift my spirits. I want some color in this world. Maybe <laughs> maybe that's the arts in me or what I don't know. But I I wear a black uh, shirt maybe on a formal occasion. Certainly there are good there are occasions where you do. But for me, they will see me always in light blue. Okay, so so let me just re- redo that. This is the man in blue segment. <laughs> no, I feel much better now. Thank much you better. Much better. Good. Um, um, okay, so let me explain what we're going to do here, Paul. This is this is kind of like a game show, except that you're not in a front in front of a live audience. There are no prizes, and you're the only one <laughs> Darn, playing. No prizes, Pedro. Come on, you got to do better than that. Okay, so uh, I'll work on that. Maybe we'll get you a couple black <laughs> <Okay>. shirts. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, and I'm going to ask you a bunch of random questions. Okay, and then we yeah. just go. Okay, the first segment is called Choices We Make. Okay, wow. so, so I'm going to ask you uh, several rapid-fire questions, and you get to choose between two items like uh, uh, peanut butter or cashew butter. Oh, boy. Love cashew butter, but don't need it. I love <laughs> to bike, and I'm biking about 53 kilometers a day, so you don't do that and then eat cashew butter. <laughs> you even get the peanut butter that's light. Isn't that disgusting? But I eat light peanut butter so that uh, all my exercises and my workouts at Good life uh, aren't wasted. Okay, very good. Now, next one. F- uh, film or TV? What kind? Film or TV? Oh, definitely. There's nothing. There's so little on TV that I would watch today. All that reality stuff, um, you know, um, CSI, all that stuff. I just, uh, my imagination is, is well enough on its own. I do not need <laughs> all those mass murders and all this conniving and really all the violence, too. So I, I love good films. I went to see Michael Jackson, This Is It, last oh, night. Oh, really? Fantastic! Really, for anyone who thought Jackson wasn't in shape in those last days of his life, that man was so passionate about it. He dances so well, sings. Uh, that show was going to be out of this world, and now you can see it on film. Thanks be to God, because uh, otherwise, all that hard work and it was a fantastic show would have all been to waste. Good, so, so you, um, you walked out of the theater dancing, eh? Oh my God! And the music, and, and just I love good dancing. I love it, and. Oh, they had good. thousands of people auditioning for that show, and they picked like twelve to back him up. It is not oh, yeah. the it, yeah. this is it. Yeah, his yeah. backup dancers are phenomenal. That, are that is out true. of this world. Yeah, I love I love good film, and uh, sometimes you go to the theater and you you uh, really strike it gold, and sometimes you don't. But there's always something to be gotten from it. So okay, next one: Saint Peter or Saint Paul? Well, I'm a little partial. Yeah, you yeah. know what? I, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> now, Saint Paul was a was an amazing man. For me, and I studied, uh, of course, in Paul at University of Notre Dame, and with uh, Jerome Murphy O'Connor, man who lives in the Holy Land, he knows Paul better than Paul ever did. Yeah. And this man, um, he inspired me so much about a man who said, you know what, there's lots of diversity in this world, there's so much diversity in our very church, in our views, when you sit down and discuss how people are feeling about this or that, and he said, no matter what, stay together. Community is the most important thing. We have lots of things that can pull us apart in our world. We have things that can pull us apart in our church. And uh, the most important thing for Paul was community. Uh-huh. Be together. There is nothing on this earth that should separate all of us as the body of Christ. And um, I happen to believe that. Good, so, good, good message. So I, I love Paul's teaching. Yeah, yeah, Paul's and his writings are his, his, his writings are so beautiful. The images, the imagery there is just out of this world. Yeah, so. ain't not bad. Eh? They actually made, made, made the canon. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> and quite rightly, too. Yeah, very good. Okay, last one. Opera or musical theater? Oh, I could never choose between those two. And there's, there's really hardly a difference. There's a difference in style, yes. But um, when, when a person has a beautiful story to tell and they lift their voices in song, be it opera, be it in, uh, you know, in Italian or French or German or uh, with a Bronx accent in West Side Story, uh, music 
uh, goes so much more deeper into our emotions and our feelings and makes that story 3D, just brings it off the page. So I'm going to New York, as you know, to see Billy Elliot. Yes. And uh, that, you know, if anybody has seen the movie, you can your heart just goes out to that little boy. And, yes. And, and what is in that soul, be it even a mining town that needs to be expressed through dance. And uh, that's now going to be all set to music there in that Broadway hit. So I yeah. can't wait to see that. Yeah, I want, to, I want you to write me when, when you come back to tell me what you I thought. I will. Because it'd be I will. Phenomenal... And we're going to see West Side Story down there, too. Oh, now. good. The, the, the production in Stratford was excellent. Got rave reviews. But I hear the one in, uh, in Manhattan is pretty good, too. So I am quite look forward to seeing that also. But, uh, no, I've sung a lot of opera and I've sung a lot of musical theater. The classical musical theater like Carousel and Brigadoon and... Yeah. You know, sound and music, all that. And then and then the West, you know, I did the uh, fan with the opera there for five years. So yeah. um, I can't decide between the two. I love them oh, both. Oh, very good. Okay, well, just a note for anyone that might be figuring out what the heck is going on. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm your host, Pedro. We're speaking with our man in black who's actually wearing blue. Who's in um, blue. Father, Father Paul Massel. <laughs> he's uh, he's a priest of the Diocese of Peterborough. Okay, now let's, uh, let's uh, we're running out of time here. So I think I'm not already, go. Pedro. Yeah, we, we need to go to our last segment. This is our pop quiz okay, and of pop course quiz. <laughs> the, I ask you a, a, a quiz about all things pop um, okay. and I'm not talking about soda pop I'm talking about pop culture and y- you know what your topic is going to be your topic is going to be musical theater because I, I couldn't think of anything better to talk to you about um, why not what's the first musical theater musical that you remember watching oh, the first one the musical the first me- oh I'm sure it was um Hmm, Sound of Music, probably. Yeah, sure. I know, eh? That's a good I one. Was eight, I was eight years old and playing the part of Kurt in The Sound of Music when I was a kid, so, yeah, that was my first exposure. Okay, to music so you were sure. in The Sound of Music. I was Kurt in The Sound of Music, and don't you ever forget that. And oh, I didn't wear blue or black, I don't think. <laughs> we were wearing lederhosen in those days. Okay, that's great. Now, you, you, you're going to New York to watch uh, Billy Elliot, but what was the last musical that you watched? You know, the last musical I watched, I think, was West Side Story in Stratford. About oh, three yeah. weeks ago, I took... Uh, I took about 60 of my parishioners from St. Joe's, and we all went down and saw West Side Story. I had a tour of the costume department. It was a great day. Interesting. Oh, tell me something. So you took parishioners. Is this like a pilgrimage to Stratford? How did you? Why not? Why not? Did, did you make it like a spiritual thing, or like how do you incorporate, or is this an event? To well, do, to see, my feeling, my feeling, you see, that as a liturgist for the Diocese of Peterborough, mm-hmm. and as someone who has sung 25 years around the world, I've sung uh, in London, England, I've sung on Broadway, I've sung Kennedy Center. Um, th- th- now, this takes longer discussion. But uh, the arts are always a tremendously spiritual experience. Yeah. Whether we identify it that way or not, they always are. They take us somewhere else. They identify the kairos that is within us all. Yeah. Uh, uh, they take us deeper. So, so it is a pilgrimage because you, you watch a musical and uh, you connect with that deeper presence of God within us. Music does that. Good theater does that. Yes. Dance does that. When some people move and dance well... It just takes you to another plane, and I, and I'm always hopeful that liturgy will always do that. Yeah, good you liturgy know, is it, good theater in a way. Liturgy is done well. It is good theater. Yeah, that's, that's right. true. That's true. Um, and uh, good theater is liturgy. Like uh, people have to. That may take some stretch for some people's minds, but to really know. And I I just say from where I came from, I'm as a theatrical person and also as a priest and a liturgist. Uh, um, the two of them are meant to take us through the door to eternity. Yeah. You know? Okay. Out, of, out of time and place. Okay, let me ask you the last one then. What, yeah. what is the musical that most reminds you of your vocation? <laughs> what musical reminds me most of my vocation? Bring, bringing both worlds together. Holy gee, isn't or, that something? Or musical that most inspires your vocation? 
uh, or musical role or musical song. Isn't that something? Oh, you're well, going to have to think about this. You, that, one, that one's not, not an easy one. But, you know, uh, what led me to my um, uh, entering doing the philosophy and the MDiv and all that was I was doing five years of Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. And uh, that was a tremendously inspiring musical because it was a man who felt he was disfigured. And it was love that reminded him that disfigurement can not only be on your outside, but it can be on the inside. Yeah. But it also said that, that whether it was on the outside or on the inside, uh, there is no disfigurement when we love. Oh. And, and that, to me, is the priesthood. Well, there you go. That's, that's yeah. a good answer. Yeah. That's a pretty that's, good answer. That's uh, uh, for all of us including myself, who see disfigurements within ourselves when we don't feel we don't fit in, uh, the message from God is that uh, we are all loved and uh, there is no disfigurement when you get right down to it. Well, that's a great place to end, and I'm sorry that we're out of time, but <laughs> thank you so much. Um, uh, our man in black <laughs> slash blue, blue. <laughs> of, of the week, Father <laughs> and Paul. And even beige sometimes. And beige you know, sometimes. Really, yeah. yeah, that's, that's yeah. good. Father Paul Massel, he's a pastor of St. Joseph's Parish in the Diocese of Peterborough. Um, I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and I am wearing black. Good for you. <laughs> we got to keep up the black going, too, that's for sure. Some of us have to wear black. It's very important that we do. Thank you, Paul. Nice talking to you. Pedro, it's always a pleasure. Well, that was a jam-packed special edition of Salt and Light Radio. If you like what you hear, visit our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. Thank you for listening to Salt and Light Radio.